You're listening to Sound Economy, and I'm your host, Emma Summer-Johnson. On today's episode, we'll be speaking to Emma Stianström. Emma is an associate professor and co-director of the Center for Arts, Business and Culture, ABC, here at SSE. She's always worked with bridging different spheres, particularly those of art and business. As a teacher, Emma teaches several courses, including global challenges, global citizenship, global leadership, and the executive education program called Leadership. Her ongoing research projects include an action research project on bubble hopping, a very interesting concept that will be that you recently uh, published a book on, as well as two different collaborations, bridging circus and management, namely the Sphere and Teacher Trust. And she's also been involved in the initiative Inner Development Goals and has done so since it started in 2020 and is a regular columnist in Doggins Industry. Hi, Emma. Thank you for joining (laughs) us today. That was a long introduction. No, I mean, it's incredible how many things, how many things you're up to, how how you manage the time and everything. I don't. That's the easy answer. (laughs) But maybe let's, before we dive into kind of where you're at today and what you're working with the most, how did your relationship with SSE start? How have you ended up kind of here with with SSE? How did it start? I I, um, applied here you want a true story, huh? Yes. <laughs> okay. I think uh, I applied here because my um, best friend, who I also was in love with, uh, he wanted to study here. And I wanted to be with him. So uh, I applied here as well. And I had never thought about it before. That was like last semester or whatever in high school or gymnasium. Uh, and then I got in. And he didn't. Oh, okay. Um, so that wasn't so good. But I said, okay, but I, you know, I'll go for a year and then I'm going to quit and I'll study journalism instead because I was really, I wanted to become a journalist. I had always wanted to become a journalist. But then I made friends and I started in the you know, student association and I think particularly I made a lot of good friends. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll finish and I can become a journalist afterwards. And here I am. <laughs> That's like 40 years later. Yeah. And I'm still a little bit like, what am I doing here? Now, my father was very upset. He was super upset. Now, when I told him that I was applying for Stockholm School of Economics, he he was he said, well, I'm going to you know, try to get you out of Sweden um, I, 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 he f- found me a job in Paris and he wanted me to study at Sorbonne. And he said, well, that's at least going to change your mind because I don't want you to go to SSE. Uh, and of course, I did anyhow. So first summer when I came down to our summer house, my dad was sitting in the garden with an artist friend. And he said, here's my only child. I'm actually an only child. She decided to go to SSE. She might have well as well have become a prostitute and drug oh, addict. No. <laughs> so that has been, and it's really been kind of. I think it's been influencing me a lot. Uh, and it was it wasn't for political or ideological reasons. He's a philosopher most of all, and he felt that uh, SSE was a bit shallow. That we didn't have the big existential discussions here. And that has influenced me, I think. And that's, I, I imagine that's quite 
interesting and I wonder then is has that been relevant to kind of you've been part of of some of the biggest initiatives here at SSE that have maybe at least for people on the outside maybe help helped in shifting that perspective and for students it really depends on which year you joined but I mean the global challenges courses the art and business center the art initiative all things that you work with have has that also been kind of an attempt for you to kind of change maybe that mindset that might have been one time true at SSE but now is yeah, quite definitely. Different. I think it's been really influencing me for the whole time here. Uh, even uh, in 1985, when I was a student, I actually found some notes. I tried to bring in arts and humanities to the business school. And I was a student. Um, and then I studied especially literature and philosophy after SSE. Uh, and when I did my PhD, I really wanted to combine arts and business and humanities and and I it's definitely been like my mission um partly also because I worked at the bank when I graduated I uh you know I didn't stay I, I have been outside I just want to say that not that long but still a little bit outside the SSE and uh, and I worked at the bank and then I studied literature and I felt like wow studying literature was actually very good for understanding my job at the bank. Maybe even better than what I learned at SSE. So uh, I, I really had the mission to, yeah, that's what happens if you bring in more arts, humanities, humanistic kind of thinking. Um, and that goes to sustainability as well. So, yeah. And then, because I imagine kind of, your dad, when he wanted you to go to France, that ha- that's a different culture. And then now with art and business, that's merging, kind of crossing some boundaries. And I guess what I'm trying to get to here is bubble hopping, which is what you've now published a book on and is part of your courses here at SSC. When did that idea start or what did it start as? Was it was it this kind of boundary crossing thing or what? maybe when, yeah, when did it begin? I think it started there. Uh, I think that's also why I told the story a bit because I think it started with, you know, first of all, like I was really curious, like, you know, what are the differences and why is it not okay to both be interested in arts and humanities and study business? And I, and, um, and I was thinking a lot also, like, I always felt like the two, like the different perspectives I really enjoyed them together. I mean, of course, there were conflicts sometimes, which is also interesting, I think. Uh, but I always felt that was a cross-pollination when you bring, you know, different areas of knowledge together or different ways of seeing and thinking. And so it started there and it started with bridging arts and business. Uh, and it kept on going. And after a while, I think I started also thinking that well, arts and business, that's fine. But there are, of course, other disciplines. And I, I started working at Stockholm School of Entrepreneurship where I could teach students from six, today six different universities and many different disciplines. And I found that fantastic. So great. And I also started working a lot more into disciplinary projects. And for, I think, five years, I was both a guest professor at it sounds really bad in English, but University College of Arts, Crafts and Design and at SSE. So I was actually going in between every week, which was fantastic again. And, you know, that kind of bubble hopping for me has been my life in that sense. 
but then mostly between academic disciplines. And I, I really want to add, and between also, I've always been longing to be in practice as well. You know, I've never been working like full time at the business school. I write my columns. That's my old journalism uh, dream, I guess. And I've done that for 24 years. Um, you know, going between media and academia, but also in practice, like serving on boards, uh, bringing people together. I know that's my, yeah, that's where I get energy from. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 a great and encouraging, I think, regular practice and a kind of encouraging practice for people to to pursue. But I wonder, maybe so that we're not jumping ahead of ourselves for the listeners who haven't quite maybe understood or seen, heard from you what, it, what a bubble hop is. How would how would you describe you kind mean, of the main characteristics of a of a bubble? You hop? mean it's not evident from the word? <laughs> yeah, concept bubble hopping. Like my my um, publisher was very. Should we really call it bubble hopping? But I like it. It's, it's a playful way of describing, you know, methods for bridging differences. Simple methods for bridging differences. Uh, it's not always simple. Sometimes it is simple. Like I don't find it super difficult to go between uh, arts and business all the time or between like the circus and uh, business school. But... There are other times when we talk about political differences or differences in power or socioeconomic status or whatever, then it can become more difficult. And I've been, you know, thinking like, how can we find like research-based practices to make it a little bit easier to do so? Because I really believe in bridging differences in society, in organizations, and as individuals. Amazing. <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's really cool. Um, I guess, and then shall we maybe just also introduce because I I want to touch upon lots of things that you're doing. You have an NGO called Fika, mm -hmm. but that started before bubble hopping. Maybe I'm going back in time now. The 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 timelines are overlapping here. But I mean, because I'm thinking now maybe to put it into practice into a setting. We've we'll go maybe into the classroom a bit later, but. Through your NGO, that's that's not just students, right? No. But, but it is bubble hopping, yeah. essentially, that's yeah. taking place yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, no, it's not easy. And I don't even know myself when things really started. I think I came across the concept of bubble hopping in 2018. Uh, and that was through an American engineer. His name is Max Hawkins. And he had this idea that you could live your life randomly. He called that bubble hopping. Um. That's when I and I said, "Oh, it's a little bit like describing not the randomness, perhaps, but kind of wanting to break out of the ordinary patterns and meet different people." That's a little bit what I've already been doing in my research, but also also as a teacher, because I would go, for example, you know, I would bring my students, my master's students, to Tianstad Konsthall in in one of the suburbs outside Stockholm and we would have like open seminars there instead of at the business school. So I have been doing it, like trying to bridge differences and trying to kind of broaden perspectives. And then I found the concept of bubble hopping. I was like, that's a good one. Maybe I can call it that. And then Fika started when I lived in Berlin and I was lucky enough to work in an institute that's run by a, a German-American researcher. His name is Otto Scharmer, he's at MIT, and he had a research hub in Berlin, 
And through that hub, I met with some Germans and some French, and we created Fika together. And bubble hopping is part of it. So the bubble hopping is, I've done it with the students like you and your fellow students. Um, But I've also been doing it outside school with organizations. I've done it quite a lot with executives um, and also through executive education here. But I've also been running like, you know, meetups. Uh, I've had this idea that, okay, Sundays I will teach in my kitchen instead of the business school. And I had a lot of people coming like paperless or expats or new Swedes in general. And I always felt like that was really important to be able to give like free seminars in my kitchen on Sundays. So I would do that too. So, and that was also part of Fika. Um, so yeah, there are like, there, but the timeline is not clear for me either. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a bit of a relief. No, I mean, it's, I, the next thing I guess I'd want to ask then is, you've taken it upon you you know to expand in and with your NGO your research teaching um executives organizations all sorts of people but it's also been you of course you've had people you've collaborated with but I'm guessing for the future of bubble hopping maybe as a more normalized practice globalized practice what do you think is maybe has been the hardest to communicate when it comes to bubble hopping when you meet? I, it might depend on different groups. So when it comes to maybe your vision of scaling up, how do you what do you think is going to be really difficult when it comes to you helping teach not other people the practice of bubble hopping and taking them through the process, but I guess teaching other people how to teach it? Mm, is, mm, yeah, it's a very good question, I think. Uh, you know, one thing I, I do get into lots of discussions around of course more related to politics and power structures and is it always okay should we talk to everybody when we because maybe we need to explain to you that when I talk about bubble lobbying for example with uh, you and your classmates I'll say you know you decide yourself look at which bubbles you're part of like and then Think about a bubble that you perhaps are curious about or that you have prejudice around or you know, just another bubble. So jump there and I'll let you decide and you can jump everywhere and you do that <laughs> for sure. I've seen all different kinds of hops. Um, when scaling up, I, you know, I do get into discussions around, is it okay to talk to everybody? And I will say like, no, you decide yourself. It's like your boundary. I have boundaries too. There are people I've, you know, I'm not interested in talking to. Um, and then there are others I'm really curious about. So it really depends. And I think um, boundaries is definitely one of the big questions. And that will be even more difficult, I guess, if it's not you know, possible to have that conversation. Um, then there are, of course, I mean, the people who will who bubble hops or whatever you call it, bubble hop, uh, are usually the ones who don't need it the most and the ones who perhaps really kind of would benefit from seeing other perspectives. They have a lot of resistance. Um, and I'm not sure how to reach. You know, there's one thing when you have and have students like you, when I have students, I can actually make people bubble hop. And some people I know don't do that still, but uh, at least I can make I make some people bubble up, uh, some students. But it's more difficult outside, of course. 
And there are lots of, and you know, I've had many discussions around, is it social tourism? Is it also, is it okay if you come from a privileged position Mm -hmm. and you go somewhere where somebody's less privileged because you are curious to learn about them? Is that okay? Is it always okay? So lots of those discussions for sure. That's a, a challenge. Another challenge that I'm struggling with right now is also, you know, if I, if I really want to scale up, which I do want to do because I, you know, together with others, there are many initiatives like this. But, um, and I also belong to some of those networks, but scaling up, I think, needs technology. Uh, I think it can be helpful with digital technology to do it. But at the same time, I also find that the meeting like face-to-face, person-to-person, is in itself very valuable today. So I'm not always sure that looking into your smartphone will really create the kind of connection between people that I'm looking for. So that's another challenge. There are many, many more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can I can only imagine, but I I guess it is this idea of you know, trying to build structures for global citizenship, but also not trying to make it seem disingenuous. You want it to and to make it to in person uh, contacts and uh, facing a person, you know, face to face, making that eye contact is something I think we discussed even in the course. It's essential, kind of, to establishing a good relationship, but then also feeling like the conversation's honest. Um, So I wish you the best of luck in kind of (laughs) overcoming those challenges. But I guess even we talked a bit about scaling up, but then maybe going to an environment I perhaps from an outsider or still as a student imagine is more controlled, but still where they're bringing you in, which is kind of with these on the corporate scale and with organizations where they're inviting you. So you're, I guess you're still in the position to kind of tell them and maybe force them a little bit to bubble hop. But of course, I imagine there are some boundaries there as well. And when I think of organizations and then your practice of bubble hopping, it reminds me of the discussion of mindfulness that we had a lot in Global Challenges too. And there was one article which I went back to my notes to find called Beyond McMindfulness by Ron um, Purser all the way back in 2013. And he talks about mindfulness and he says, cloaked in an aura of care and humanity, mindfulness is refashioned in, into a safety valve as a, a valve as a way to let off steam, a technique for coping with and adapting to the stresses and strains of corporate life. To become a genuine force for positive, personal and social transformation, it must reclaim an ethical framework and aspire to be more lofty purposes than that take into action the well-being of all living beings. And kind of my take, main takeaway from there was basically that there's a big risk with practices like this that it gets washed out a bit, the mm-hmm. genuine, the core of what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe for people who are also going to go into management, also really interested in what you do, how do you face going into kind of an organization where they're at, they're bringing you in and they're asking you to do your thing, but, you know, within, so that not to make anyone too uncomfortable, but mm. how do you manage when kind of part of your process is getting a bit uncomfortable? Mm. That's yeah. a, also a good question again. <laughs> um, yeah, I I wonder if I have any. I, I guess I, the honest answer is I don't know which is probably a good starting point from learning too, for learning. But I um, I haven't really encountered that within organizations yet, but I have done that with the... I've been working a lot with also with 
arcs and bringing in arcs mm-hmm. over the years. And I, I, when you talk about Purse's article, which I also like, I feel like I've seen that in working with arts within organizations. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I can, it des- definitely resonates with me what you're saying now. And, you know, it's, it's both a kind of like instrumental purpose, but also the kind of washing and the, you know, we've seen quite a lot of art washing in society in general. If you look at, you know, some of the big supporters that also kind of sell drugs or whatever, you know, there 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 are quite a lot of that discussion within the arts community so I've seen it and I imagine I haven't encountered or I haven't at least been aware of it but I imagine that it could happen with bubble hopping too I have had examples where I feel like also the purpose you know for me it's always been yeah I don't think it's you know it's becoming a little bit better as a human being, understanding more perspectives, uh, bridging between groups in society, etc. You know, that is not to say that it's easy or that I'm always good at it or anything like that, but it's like trying to become a little bit better. And I'm thinking like that's, I think that's also my, when I try to do things like this within organizations, you know, it's not promising that because it will not solve everything and it's I think it's I'm very influenced by a sociologist called Hartmut Rosa we didn't have him in the course I don't think no, so unfortunately <laughs> I tried short term memory but we yeah no we no. didn't but he's wonderful I highly recommend everybody to read his books um so he for me I think his concept of resonance is very important and for that is really saying that it's resonance that when that connection happened between two people, for example, from different bubbles, um, it's wonderful. Something happened. It's something you say resonates in me and creates something in the third space between us. But you cannot plan it because it doesn't always happen. So... It's going away from the logic that this is always going to be there. It's always going to happen. So I think I'm I'm trying to push that within organizations. No, you will not connect with everybody, you know. But using some perhaps methods or skills can make it perhaps more likely that it will happen. And then when it happens, grab it. But when it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So it's a little bit moving away from the kind of very planned control, instrumental yeah. perspective. And I think that's that's also very much part of my philosophy. I'm Yeah, no, I can imagine that kind of we've set out to do this and there's a goal to be achieved. And kind of, I guess, even in a workshop setting where we're listening and talking to each other, there's that kind of expectation that, oh, no, you should have gotten out of this and you should have transformed in this bubble hop but I just I just to zoom in a little bit more on that kind of how how do you advise people when they're going into uh, a, a, a discussion like this where you're going to th- how, try to be genuine with someone maybe overcoming a boundary and you have this expectation maybe okay I'm gonna get out of my comfort zone but it will be worth it 
But when you reach maybe a standstill and you realize I'm not getting anywhere with this, how do you have any advice of how to handle that kind of like, oh, this thing goes planned or <laughs> somebody said that the most important is probably how do you end the conversation? <laughs> We never got into that. Like, and it's really true. Like, how do you end the conversation? So I think that's, uh, yeah, that's something to practice too, perhaps. But also, um, you know, learning from it, of course, you know, we learn from mistakes too, or we learn from failures. Like I've, I mean, I've noticed in myself that, Of course, sometimes like I get caught in my prejudice, which is not such a pleasant feeling. You know, I kind of like, okay, now I want to understand the other person's perspective. And I, of course, I want to make myself understood as well. I want us both to learn. And then I'm like, I find myself just kind of observing, confirming what I already think about. It. Oh, that's so typical. If it's political viewpoint, yeah, yeah. for example, or whatever. You know, and, and then th I think the only thing is like at least being aware of it and trying to overcome it. And the few times when you actually or when you overcome it, it's like, wow, now I actually I changed my mind. I, I, you know, something happened. I suddenly I could understand. I found that common ground that I always talk about. Uh, I saw that person not only as I don't know. Now, this is not my standpoint, but uh, like a climate activist that I don't like, you know, using some of students' comments sometimes. Like I had, you know, students jumping to like, I don't understand those who are climate activists. And then coming back saying, hmm, actually, I did understand a little bit more. And I could see that we had some common ground. And, and that person had was much more complex than I thought in the beginning and for me that is enough it's all about just kind of seeing the other person as a human not just as that category not just the bubble you put them in but as a human being that's complex with many sides and I and then learning something from it usually so No, I mean, it's wonderful, but I guess now to get as much advice out of you as possible. Um, when going into these uh, conversations and going into a bubble hop, you, you mentioned the kind of people might come up thinking, oh, I changed my mind. But I guess some of the hesitance one might have going into conversation, especially maybe political ones, you know, on any kind of viewpoint that you're scared of having the other person change your mind, not the situation, you know, learning, but it's like, oh, but I... What if I? What if my argument's not strong enough, and I and I suddenly don't know what I believe in anymore? You know, mm. of course that can be a fruitful experience. Maybe ground back down to ground zero, and you maybe have to be a bit of an optimist about it. But what do you like? How do you tackle that kind of fear of changing? I guess. Yeah, that's it's it's good. Uh, again, <laughs> your <laughs> questions. You're part of this method is really asking questions and. Emma here is showing how to do that, <laughs> I think. Global challenges too, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, yeah, that's a, it's a very good question. Like, And I think it also depends on you know, who you are. First of all, like I'm always saying like, you, you know, you shouldn't, you don't need to change in any way and you should not aim to change somebody else. And you don't need to change your mind. Um, you just need to be curious. Um, then if you are afraid of changing your mind or perhaps not 
believing what you believe, which is very, it's very interesting, and it touches me when you say so. Um, and I can see that, especially, of course, when you're in twenty something and yeah. you're forming your perhaps beliefs about the world, etc. Uh, I can really see that happening. Um, and um, and I also, but in a way, I'm like, maybe if I can help there, perhaps there are other methods to make you kind of comfortable with. I think the world wouldn't be as bad as it is today. Sometimes I shouldn't say that. It sounds very pessimistic. But if we were to change our minds a little bit and admit that we politicians, for example, oh, I changed my mind. I changed my point of view. I think that's okay. It's not what we necessarily aim for when we bubble up, but it's okay if you do so. Uh, and you can actually have also perhaps not get stuck in one point of view, but uh, hmm, there's like, that makes sense as well. And but So one thing we didn't do in the course, and I haven't done it enough, but I'm having some visitors from the U.S. coming over here soon. Um, and I'm going to be there myself in the fall. They are working a lot with theater and performing arts where they put together students from, they come from Georgetown University and from the Department of Theater and Political Science. They have a lab together, which is interesting in itself. Uh, so the students from Georgetown University, which tends to be a bit liberal, progressive kind of uh, students, university, uh, they meet with a Christian, very pretty right-wing conservative students from a Christian college. And what they do is not they don't just meet, but they actually really try to step into the other one's shoes. Okay, yeah. In your shoes is the project. And play each other in front of the two classes. Uh, and they say that that kind of embodiment of somebody else's perspective and point of view, and they're also 20-year-old something, you know, a little bit older, perhaps 23, 22, um, or maybe not even that. But when that kind of stepping into, it kind of, you know, in a playful way, it's, it's you know, it's a bit like we're not stuck in our point of views either. Yeah. We can be a bit fluid. We can change. It's not dangerous. I yeah. would like I would really work with that kind of security. Yeah. No, I think. I think it's I think it's I guess maybe it is in this day and age. I think it's just so maybe normal to see when the world's so polarized. It's like where you do f almost have this feeling where you can't edit a tweet. Well, maybe now you can, but you know you have to stand so strongly with your political views that I I I'm also often curious about you know. Is that why we're so unable now? We're approaching a time when you can't even engage with discussions with other people because it's like you know you're not allowed to change your mind once you've said it. You've said it. You know, there's no Sorry. there's no going back. And but, I like yeah. that. Yeah, that's in, that's a very interesting point of view. And I I don't know. I've changed my political views a lot over the years. Yeah. Since I was your age. Yeah. Until today, I've really changed my political views. No. I Do you think yeah. you will? I'm I'm not sure, but I do. I I'd I'd like to think that I can try to, you know, that you talked about being fluid in what your beliefs, and I'd I'd like to think that I'd be willing to sit down with the com with and have a conversation with people I d disagree with. But then I don't know if I put myself often enough in places to do that. So maybe maybe I think a big takeaway from today will be to it's okay to change, 
and then maybe yeah engaging it's, with people with different views and it really try i mean i think that's also the heart of democracy yeah uh, so i think you know i make a, a deliberate effort to see people from different parts like have friends from different with different political views i have dinner parties with all parties around the table like for me that's a super important yeah but i'm a lot older no, than you no, are. i love i do love and my feet i think fika, when i was so. 20 i might have been more like i'm going to stick with my which yeah. i think i don't know do you, what 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 you been in the course what what did yeah. your fellow students say and uh, how did they approach bubble hopping i i think you have the answers. the behind the behind the scenes the student yeah, the perspective the oh the tables have turned um <laughs> No, I think I think it really. I think one person in our classroom ended up bubble hopping with some stranger he met in the parking lot, if I remember yes. correctly. So it's almost uh, one approach could just be going into a conversation with a complete stranger, you know, not even knowing if you're in the same bubble hop is or not. But I don't I don't know how many instances I heard of differing political views. Maybe if it was close enough for it to be a family member, but a distant relative, you know, so it was still far out of reach enough. I think maybe religious views took part in the conversation, but political is it is a really sensitive place to place to be having that conversation. I think I think it's less of a less of a given that it's okay to and possible to kind of disagree within that sphere. You know, how long can you go in a conversation with yeah. someone who you know thinks society should be organized in a different way? That's you know, so there's so many. There's like. I I think one of my things is also it's a lot about fundamentals and I think that's where I'm always curious about you know how what fundamental thing is it that we're disagreeing before we get to the policy levels because like you said politicians sometimes don't say they change their mind but when they do you know they might be suggesting the same political policies no matter where on the spectrum you are so it's for me I think the the, the divisive or you know where you differ is on that fundamental level but that's almost you know that's so personal that it's mm. getting to that part I think you need to bubble hop and I think it's like I was looking at the schools in Stockholm uh, the gymnasiums whatever it's called in English but it's, uh, and it's incre- I, I looked at the election they have that school election I don't know if you looked at the numbers but it was like it's unbelievable I don't maybe it was like that when I was in school but It seems like there are schools where they are so like right, they're all conservatives or uh, in that block, or they are really left. They only like and or there are very SD Swedish Democrats, uh, uh, whatever we should call them, the um, social conservatives or whatever. So, but they are so divided, the schools in Stockholm today. And I'm thinking, I don't know how that influences. I, you didn't go to school in No, I, I've grown uh, up, I've grown up abroad. So I think I'm still trying to grasp what the, what the true kind of political sphere is within, uh, within Stockholm and within broader Sweden. But I think it's definitely something to be maybe to try to be more aware of i think i think it's always i'm the kind of talking about you know um where we clash or where we contradict ourselves is you know kind of embracing diversity and difference in thought so really some heterogeneity in what we're yes. thinking but we always, we're and we're building in the society that says we fight for diversity we might be just we're keeping ourselves more and more to our own homogenous kind of circles and mm-hmm. it, i think that always it, there's a like pang of disappointment then when you think oh i thought we were getting to a place where we can have a conversation but 
then it feels like the, the spaces to do so are is shrinking somehow. Yeah. Um, I think you're right there. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think yeah, so. No, I think yeah. so. And I think that's also why it's important with this, these kind of projects. And I, because I, I do think it's important to have, you know, broader perspectives and be able to talk to somebody that you disagree with, but that you don't necessarily have to dislike because yeah. you disagree. Yeah. That's also like a difference between the person and the point of view and yeah. being able to make that. And and, and I, I mean, there are many, including, um, you know, big heroes in uh, in um, academia, like John Stuart Mill, for example, who would always say that, you know, you should always talk to those who oppose your point of view. That's how you become clever. It's only people who are stupid who avoid their opponents. And for me, that's like, yeah, that's the philosophy too. I mean, yeah. that's also how you kind of strengthen your arguments if you want so too, I think. No, so I, I, I really, yeah. <laughs> and I think, it, you know, that maybe it's even more important because I agree with you that it seems to become much more politically polarized in class today yeah. too. Yeah, no, but I... um. I think I think we're nearing the end now. We've touched upon so many things, it's, but I, I think it's such a great conversation that you know it's the kind of thing you could go on uh, talking about for hours. And hopefully, our listeners will it will be sinking in, and they'll have an interesting thought process following uh, the end of the podcast as well. But before we go, I guess f- out of everything that we've discussed today, and kind of from real work and everything, what what advice would you have to someone who's looking to challenge themselves? No, and now, of course, I got stuck into that kind of meet with the people who have different political points of view. That's like a simple, easy way to do it. I think uh, make sure, you know, that you uh, have uh, friends. They might be online on social media. Uh, make sure that you have friends that uh, have different political views. Uh if you have the chance, you know, organize um, you know, maybe dinner is too much, but you could have at least coffee. If you really disagree with somebody, make sure to invite them for coffee um, and, and, and try to kind of learn from them. And I, I think an easy way to go is political views now. That's, and I think that's ha- the heart of democracy too. So I'm sure you know somebody who has a different political view than you do. And uh, make sure to invite that person for coffee tomorrow. Can you promise me that? Or <laughs> I'll, I'll check my Google calendar. No, but yes. It I... doesn't have to be tomorrow, the coffee. Yeah. But you can invite them or, you know, look up or organize perhaps here at school. You can organize uh, more of those discussions. They're, they are important and they are uh, they're very, I think they're very rewarding. Um, you know, make sure you have friends from different political. No, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely try to live up to the challenge and I hope our listeners will too. But thank you, Emma, for joining us today. And to our listeners, we're wishing you a lovely summer because this is our last episode before then. But this has been Sound Economy. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>